To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish that book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the Bestseller Experiment. And it's so much more than just a grammar checker. It's a style editor, writing mentor, all in one package. And it works with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is you, beautiful people. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right this very moment. Get your discount today at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. And I've been playing with it today, Mr. D, and I blooming love it. I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's um, amazing, isn't it? It's really good. It's, it's really, really good. It's um, and that's high praise coming from you, Mark, as well. Who's, who's been around a few blocks in your life? Well, it's not. It's not. I think the trouble with this, when you, as a writer, when you first hear of software like this, you think, well, the last thing I need is someone telling me I'm wrong. Someone else telling me I'm wrong all the time. You know? But it's it's not. It's it's really good. I mean, it's one of these things you can use at the beginning of the process, the middle. I basically put a chapter of my new book through it today. And which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's pristine and perfect and holy in every way. And it said, uh, you know what, you're using, you've used this phrase here and that phrase. Oh, of course I have, you know, and you've done this and oh, yeah. And then there's a bit about passive verbs. And I'm like, well, I don't really mind passive verbs. And then you click on the information thing and it says passive verbs. You know, some people like them, some people don't. It's entirely your choice. I'm thinking, oh, I, I like this. I really, really like this. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Like, You've seen you've seen Dodgeball, haven't you? If you've seen the movie yes. Dodgeball, right? You, oh yeah. You know yeah. at the end when Vince Vaughn does that ad where he says, you know, you can come to the gym, and you know you, you, you're beautiful as you are, but you can come to the gym just to work out and meet some friends. That's what I felt. It felt like going to a really friendly gym. That's probably a terrible <laughs> analogy. Um, but yeah, I really no, really good. enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Excellent stuff. Oh, and actually, a bit of news for you. Apparently, it's they've just added a final draft to their integration just last week. So for all those screenwriters out there, it integrates with Final Draft. It's amazing stuff. So Mark, we've had a oh, so much to do today. We've Well, firstly, we should just give a little teaser to everyone listening. Have we got a humdinger of a guest for you today? I'm all I'm going to say before we announce who this is later on. Number one, Mark almost wet his pants. Uh, it's just like, this is like me meeting Sting or uh, Richard Branson or something like that. Um, but we, on today's show, we have one of the most successful in the top 10 screenwriters ever. Mm. And we'll reveal more later on. This is huge. Um, but before we dive in, we should say thank you to all of our lovely patrons that have signed up to support this podcast this week. Oh, they are the best. They are the best, as we all know. A big thank you to Mags Carnu, to Tom Foote, and to Ross James. Now, uh, Tom was also... The 1,000th person to like our uh, bestseller experiment page on Facebook, which is great. And we had a big celebration. And then I think one person unliked the Facebook page. So we're back down to <laughs> yeah. 999. I know. Oh. <laughs> exactly. I said I did a massive thank you, Tom. We're at 1,000. And then someone thought, oh, don't like that post and unsubscribe. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we need someone else. Can you please become the the next thousandth person to like the Facebook page? Do you, yes. do you find Bestseller Experiment? No, Facebook.com forward slash bestseller experiment bestseller experiment even i can't bestseller get it right just, just yeah. find the bestseller experiment on facebook please but everyone just anytime on. this is like with twitter followers anytime you hit a round number on twitter you think oh two thousand followers and then you'll go away and feel very smug with yourself and you go back to twitter and it's two nine 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 so oh what the <laughs> <laughs> but anyway a big welcome oh. to tom uh, he put a post on facebook saying what can i say colin sent me and he's got a picture of him <laughs> with actually it's a footballer I don't understand it's footballer. footballers it's a footballer with a Colin Colin the Colin the caterpillar cake so yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom has been a pro ghostwriter for about six years but had not authored a word of my own until tuning into BXP a couple of months ago now I'm almost at 20,000 words on one manuscript with two other projects in the work so Tom welcome to the gang all of you and if you want to join Tom and be one of the beautiful people over on Patreon there are three tiers if you just want to support the podcast two dollars a month you can be a pen Smith for $2 a month and we thank you for that. For $5 you can be bestseller to be and you get access to over 60 deep dive episodes which are amazing amazing stuff and for $10 you're a chart top you get everything you get the deep dives access to the BXP group on Facebook you get episodes early you get episodes of bonus material you can submit to a one page punch ups and the live shows and there's more cool stuff on the way. Now, talking of the BXP team, we've got a massive announcement. We usually do this kind of stuff at the end of the show, but this is so huge. We just have to share this with our listeners. Tell the world about what happened this. We got a post on the BXP team group, which is our private Facebook group. There's about 150 incredible authors on there. They're the kind of most, if you like, the most engaged of our listeners, people that are really investing their time in making the transition maybe from full-time employment to becoming a full-time author. They're people that have set the goal of public declarations to actually get their book out there. But something massive happened this week and it, I literally fell off my chair when I read this. I could not believe it. I thought it was a joke post to be on, to be honest when I first read it. Well, this is, this is a, a lot of our listeners will know about the Kindle Storyteller uh, competition, which uh, runs every year and is one of the biggest uh, competitions out there. Uh, you can win a £20,000 first prize for outstanding writing. And this year they've added something as well where you can win an additional 10000 to get your book optioned by Prime Video, which is like, Which whoa. is massive. It's like a Netflix series, <laughs> for know, goodness sakes. I know. It's really, really big. And the, the specific the book has to be published between a certain time and a certain time, which so none of our books qualify because I'd have been in there like a shot. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I knew that everyone and their their dog was you know going in for for this competition. So the odds of getting through to the shortlist are you know pretty astronomical. I think every indie author out there is going for it. Then uh, Ian Sainsbury of the Best Sell Experiment, a loyal Patreon supporter, someone who's had some great success as an indie author, posted this on our group. He says, I want to let you guys know this first. Uh, Cueve McDonnell, previous guest on the show and Patreon supporter, a member of the BXP group on Facebook. Cueve McDonnell and I have both made it through to the shortlist for this year's Kindle Storyteller Award. That's two out of the five finalists. Go BXP. <laughs> He said he wanted to thank Robin Sarti particularly for beta reading and providing her with great feedback and, of course, to the marks and this group. That is, I mean, when, he, when he, I saw the word shortlist, I thought, oh, is it 50 books? Is it 30 books? Is it 100 books? No, f five. And, <laughs> and two of them 
are our family because that's how I think of them now. These people are yeah, our family. Uh, they are everyone's family in VXP team. It, honestly, folks, if you're not part of this group, you need to get in. We're not going to say for certain that it's only going to be a certain limited number of people, but we like the fact that it's a kind of a, a smaller community. There's some groups out on Facebook. I'm sure you're probably on part of many groups. So there's 20, 50,000 people or whatever. But if you want to get into this team, there's some magic happening in there right now. We've got um, Lorna, who's who's one of the best-selling authors, um, number one Kindle book across all categories this summer. She started with the podcast. You'd have heard us interviewing her. Um, it's I, I do believe, and everyone's saying this within the group, they said there's, there's some magic going on in this group. And I actually, you know, even, even with my kind of optimism, I thought at first, oh, everyone's just... Um, it's a great community, but I do actually think there's something happening because this is absolutely bonkers. So congratulations to Ian and Queef. I mean, what what an amazing achievement. Blown away. But the thing I love most about the the, the follow-up to that post was Queef and Ian were starting talking about how they're going to have to start st- stalking each other and taking <laughs> each other out just to reduce the numbers, <laughs> which is brilliant. But um, we're hoping at some point to cover on the podcast what happens because we believe that these, the announcement of the winner and the ceremony is happening at some point in London in October. October. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we'll be covering that, folks. So stay tuned. So, Mark, let's talk a bit before we do some more social media at the end of this uh, show. There's a yes. lot of great stuff to cover. Um, quick thing that you mentioned this week, uh, you had a rejection. Well, I didn't get a gig that I wanted. You, me- you remember I've, I've obliquely mentioned a, a sort of comic book gig uh, TV movies, TV slash movie thing that I pitched for. And, you know, you put your heart and soul into it and you spend about a week putting this thing together. And I heard yesterday that I didn't get it. And for about half an hour, I hated the entire world and everyone in it. But I'm all right. I'm (laughs) out the other side. (laughs) Good man. But I just, I just, you know, we... We need to share these things with people. You know, I, I think it's important to know that this never stops, in it, particularly mm-hmm. if you're a screenwriter, uh, which is a nice segue to our, our guest because this is a screenwriter, and you'll listen to this interview, and maybe we'll talk about it at the end, who's had some some modest success and will still, you know, when I suggested that this modest success might have allow him to get projects at the off the ground he sort of throws his head back and laughs so, so, <laughs> so let's just put this into perspective this is a man who works with steven spielberg george lucas he's worked with michael crichton i mean it when you showed me the list of movies that he has done the screenplays for i could not believe it it's it's most incredible thing he is the ninth most successful screenwriter ever with a collective box office total of something like $250 billion. <laughs> and here he is on the Best Sale Experiment. So, Mark, introduce to us the world of David Kep. Uh, David Kep, as you said, is a screenwriter. Here's just a few of the films that he's he's worked on. Uh, so, uh, Death Becomes a wonderful movie. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic, Jurassic One and Park. Two. Yeah. Uh, Carlito's Way, The Paper, The Shadow, Mission Impossible, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Panic Room, The First Spider-Man Movie, War of the Worlds, Zathura, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Ghost Town, which I really like. Uh, he did Angels and Demons. Uh, he's done Jack Ryan. Is is just it's, Mission it's Impossible. amazing, yeah, just just <laughs> amazing. 
And now he's written a novel. He's written uh, this most amazing novel called Cold Storage, which is very much in that Michael Crichton vein, actually. It's like an Andromeda strain, but with killer fungi. <laughs> just brilliant. And it's uh, the thing you have to remember with David as well, he's got a wicked sense of humour. There's a, there's, a, there's a quote from Linwood Barclay on the cover of the book which says, chilling end of the world terror infected with wicked humour. And you'll hear similar yeah. humour in the interview. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely brilliant interview. You are going to enjoy this. Get your notepads out. <laughs> and... and and enjoy Mark uh, meeting, you know, probably one of the one of the most incredible screenwriters to ever have lived. So enjoy, folks, listening to Mister Stay chatting with none other than David Kep. David, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Mark, I'm uh, very well, thank you. Good stuff. Outstanding. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. This is um, this is this is something different. We're not talking about a movie. We're talking about a, a book. A novel with lots of words in it. Oh, this yeah, is, there was so much typing in it. <laughs> this is this is a new experience for you. Tell us about tell us about cold storage. Where, where did this all come from? Um, I had an idea, as I do occasionally, and I saw it visually. I mean, I saw it in terms of a movie at first, um, but uh, I started uh, one of the first steps in writing anything is I just write a few notes about the characters. So I started writing down a couple thoughts. And for some reason, I thought I can't bear the idea of another you know, movie treatment. Uh, I don't know how many treatments you read, but yeah. they're, they're hideous documents that should never be read by anyone. Yeah. They're, they're a sketch of what a screenplay might be, but a screenplay in itself is a sketch of what a movie might be. So talk about an incomplete mm. you know, art form. And so I thought I can't handle the idea of writing another terrible treatment. So I'm going to try to make the prose a little better. So a, really just about a page in, I thought, well, why don't I try writing it as a story and see then where it goes? So I sort of kidded myself and said, well, maybe it's just a short story. And I wrote a short, as it approached about 20 pages, I kidded myself some more and said, well, maybe it's just a novella. And and then as I hit 100 pages, I had to face the fact that this was a novel and I was in for 300. <laughs> um, so uh, so I kept going and, and I had a just a a ball. I worked on it on and off for about a year and a half. And uh, it was so liberating. I hadn't realized until then how, how fenced in you are screenwriting. You know, I've been doing it. I have been doing it for 25 or 30 years. And to suddenly be able to digress or talk about what someone was thinking was just, I was, I was giddy with freedom. You know, there's no, I, I realized I have not been able to write a character's thoughts for 30 years, which is rather limiting. Um, so I just had a great time and kept going and, um, and it turned out well, I thought. Yeah. I mean, making movies is very much a collaborative process and writing treatments or writing outlines is, is part of that process where you're trying in a very reductive way to convey quite complex ideas and character. I mean, I'm, I've just been yesterday, I sent off a treatment to a, an, out, an outline to a director and it's, it's like, you know, but let's talk about this as well, because if you can get them in the room and talk about it and get excited and move right. your hands about, you can you can get across some of the passion that's in there. But yeah, treatments are a bit 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 cold and reductive, aren't they? Well, they they don't have any of the they don't have any of the advantages that you have when you write a screenplay, dialogue, and you know proper descriptions of action. Uh, and a screenplay doesn't have any of the advantages that a movie itself has, which are visuals and actors and sound. Um, so you're really severely limited, but it, it, I just, I loved that prose is its own finished product. 
And if you write a chapter, that chapter should be able to be enjoyed without any further interpretation or addition uh, or collaboration. And I, I loved that about it. You've spoken before about uh, the idea of having a, a kind of a gizmo at the center of a story, something that propels the action. And I was just looking at the prologue, and you're talking about this 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 kind of killer fungus. Was this was this something that triggered the story? Was this the first thing to come along? Was this is this what you're hanging the whole story of cold storage around? No, I stumbled across that uh, particular bit in, during research once I'd already started writing because uh, there's a lot of science in the book, uh, and so I did a, quite a bit of research, you know, as both beforehand and as I was writing it. And in the research, I found well, you're talking about the honey fungus in, in mm. Oregon in the United States which is the largest living organism in the world. It covers about four square miles of a forest there. And it's, it's inevitable. Given enough time, it will cover the earth and snuff out all other life forms. Now, enough time in the case of the honey fungus is probably hundreds of millions of years because it's a very slow mover. So I just juice <laughs> things along a little faster in, in my story because who's got the time? For um, but uh, no, fungi are... are fascinating, uh, deadly, and clearly in charge of, of the planet. Uh, there, there was a mass outbreak in, uh, in the Far East a few months ago, um, and they had to actually tear down a wing of a hospital where they just couldn't get it out. It was, it, was ab it was lethal. It was impossible to clean it out of the walls, floors, ceilings, air. So they just tore down that wing of the hospital where it had been contained. It's um, they're very they're very they're pernicious. When you were working on cold storage, so something like that comes along and you stop and do some research. Were you are you a big outliner? Is is that part of your screenwriting, or did you just jump in and pants pants the, pants the novel? Um, I jumped in more with the novel and then outlined as I went. So uh, screenplays are meticulously outlined, mm. uh, as you know, um, because everything about a screenplay is concision and something that is important on page 82, you need to know about when you're writing page three. Um, so those, and there's very little writing. They're only, you know, 120 pages long. If all goes about well, double spaced usually, you know, there's, so it's, it's about how can I do this in three words instead of five? How can I do this with an image instead of four lines of dialogue? Everything is reductive uh, in a screenplay. So uh, outline, they don't take, that long to write. They take a long time to think about and a fair amount of time to outline, but not really that long to write. So again, you know, like working partly in reaction to what I've been doing for a long time, I thought oh, I'm just going to leap in with some characters I like. And I have a general idea what happens. And I, I, they hear a beeping sound and investigate. And I think I know what the beeping sound is, but I, I let it flow and invented things as I went. And then I'd stop every few days and start working on an outline, but I, or continue working on an outline. But I didn't really have a finished outline until maybe two weeks before I finished writing. Right. Um, because, I ha again, I had an idea. I knew where I was going. But things kept getting more and more refined. So you're kind of laying out the track in front of you. As <laughs> yeah, you go. exactly. Yeah, like Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's an excellent comparison. Um, yeah, and you, you better hurry because the train's coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. And then there'd be, there were moves, you know, from draft one to draft two. 
what is now the first 45 pages of the book. That used to be a flashback in the middle when something was explained that happened a long time ago. I decided to open with it instead. So, you know, things move around. But in general, I was laying track just ahead of the train. But you've spoken about this being a liberating experience, really. Because, again, you are when you're making a movie, directors get involved, actors get involved, they will make changes was this like your happy place? Was this, you know, you, yeah. you, you are you are God, you are lord of your, your domain. Did, was it an enjoyable process? Well, exactly. Yes, it was. Because a couple of reasons. I, um, I really enjoyed that it was just me and my story. And I could go, I didn't really even tell anyone about it. Uh, my wife had to hear far more about it than anyone should have to hear about someone's story. But um, <laughs> she's very patient. Um other than that, I didn't really, I didn't talk about it with anyone and I certainly wasn't being paid for it. So no one was waiting. No one even was aware of it. So it was totally safe. And movies are, I love movies. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have kept doing it all these years if I didn't, but half of your job, better than half of your job is dealing with all the other personalities and managing them and trying to convince people of how wonderful it's going to be. And, trying to talk them out of things that you think might be destructive or talk them into things that you think might be helpful. And, you know, you, you're relentlessly collaborated with. Sometimes, you know, they spring out of the bushes and collaborate upon you, you know, <laughs> over your objections. And I just loved that it was just me and my story. The, the, the risk, of course, was... Well, it'll be me and my story at the end. That's all it'll ever be, and it'll never see the light of day. And, you know, happily, you know, it did make it into print. So, and, and people seem to be enjoying it, which is, which is great. But, yes, while it was going on, I'm doing another one. I'm starting hopefully by the end of the summer. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that time again because it's, it's really peaceful. And there's, no matter which form in screenwriting or uh the one novel I've done, the a good day of writing is better than any other absolutely. any other work day I've yeah. ever had. Absolutely. You're saying you're working on something new. Would that be a continuation of this story? No, it's a new thing. Okay. It's a new story. Excellent. And you talked about talking about the story only with your wife. Does she read your work? Does she give you feedback at all? Um, she will, but I waited till it was done. Right. I uh, I didn't I, I, I just didn't want feedback yet yeah. um, on the general ideas. But um, but I wanted it to just be all mine. Did you write with a particular reader in mind? Stephen King, I think, writes with Tabitha King in mind. As so do I. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, well, Stephen King, then, uh, gosh, he's, he's very generous and outward looking. I write for my own self. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I write for my own damn self as a reader. Um, I want to amuse myself. And that's what I'm in it for. And there are, I, I love a turn of phrase that makes me smile. Um, I love a character that behaves in a surprising way. I really enjoy when a character does something dumb, which you're <laughs> never allowed to do in a movie. God, are you not allowed to do it? In a, an audience just won't put up with it. And you say, but why not? People do dumb People stuff dumb all the time. Yeah, just read a paper. <laughs> I, yeah, I do moronic stuff. Why can't I be in a movie? So I'm really writing from for myself. And then like with a movie, I try to write a movie that I know I would pay, you know, 12 pounds to go see. And 
I figure if I'm honest about that and I really would pay to see this movie and enjoy it, then I hope other people would too. Mm, absolutely. When you were working on this, was it always a novel? Because there is as a you're working on the adaptation, aren't you? This is is it going to be a movie or a TV show? There's... It would be a movie if all goes well. Okay. Uh, was it always a a novel in your head though? Was it always a yes? Yeah. I mean, the idea was movie because you know I just hadn't thought any other way for my whole writing career. Um, but then very quickly, like almost you know, the first day I started putting words on paper, I thought, oh no, it's a book. Okay. Um, so that was pretty immediate. Now, clearly for the adaptation, you're the man for the job. I feel. <laughs> I've raised my hand. Was Was there ever any talk of someone else adapting? Because you're famously, you've adapted some amazing books. You've adapted comic books into movies. How would you feel about someone coming along and adapting your work? And Well, at first it was unthinkable, but now, as we speak, I'm about halfway through the adaptation. I, I wish someone else was, <laughs> <laughs> because it's really a hard one. I thought it was going to be easy, which, you know, anytime you think they're going to be easy, they're not. There's a lot of science, and in the book you can stop and say, right, yeah. well, the thing about, you know, polyhexylene. And then you like, can go into it for a while. And in a movie, somebody's got to figure out a way to say that. Right. And get it into naturalistic seeming dialogue, which is, you know, not so easy. Well, this is weird because on, on the show, if we ever talk about that kind of exposition, we always give Mr. DNA in Jurassic Park as the <laughs> yeah. example. And you're the guy who wrote the Mr. <laughs> DNA in Jurassic Park thing. So that <laughs> you was, can't do that twice, really, can you? <laughs> yeah, that came out of, uh, you know, real frustration how much science there was and what are we supposed to do you know an animated character come along and <laughs> tell us all about it and i can't remember i can't remember whose idea it was i believe it was stevens but there's a, a thing that happens you know in creation and memory that it all ends up it was your idea <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but I think it was his I do know I if it was I can I immediately embraced it and I thought yeah and we just call him Mr. DNA <laughs> but we were referencing both of us there was a in the states back when I grew up there was in health class in seventh grade they would show you a movie about uh, Hemo the Magnificent it was about blood and there was a little animated character who was Hemo. He was a you know like a blood molecule, yeah. and he'd tell you what blood does. And it was um, we wanted it to be like that, some sort of you know slightly stupid but very informative mix of live action and a little animated character. Who to this day I don't know why he has a Texas accent. He's got a West <laughs> Texas accent, Mister DNA. And he wears a cowboy hat a lot of the time. I don't know, but yeah, it was just a very naked of being able to explain some stuff. We were lucky because it was a theme park, so they'd need to have a little film yeah. to tell you. Yeah. So we got to slide it in that way. I don't have that advantage. i, I got to think of something like that. Okay. Can I go back and talk about your, your early career? Sure. Because I, I read somewhere that you started out wanting to act, and that led to writing. Is that correct? I did. That was early on when I was in – I was never paid to act. Um, but when I was, you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, when I was in high school and early university, I was, you know, in a, all the school plays, and I wanted to be an actor. But I was also writing stories. I'd always I'd written them as a teenager, and in college, I was taking a playwriting class, and the uh, the professor who of uh, playwriting was also directing me in a play, and I think I was 
asking something about how he liked my performance. And he said, I think you're a wonderful writer. And I, I said, okay, uh, thank you. And um, he said, but the, um, he said, I noticed that your, your plays tend to have about 37 scenes, some of which are set on mountaintops. And I'm wondering, have you considered the screen? And I, um, I had, I just never, I, that was what I really wanted to do was write movies, but I was from a small town in Wisconsin and we just didn't do that there. And I didn't feel confidence to set off and, you know, go to Hollywood and seek my fortune in the movie business. But he, uh, he was very encouraging. And so I applied to film schools in LA and got into UCLA, transferred and went from there. It's, it's very strange because almost exactly the same thing happened to me. Because uh, I started acting, my wife and I applied for drama school. She got the the scholarship to go there. So I continued working in the bookshop, but we ran our own theatre company. And I wanted to do a play by a guy called Johnny Spate, and then he died, and I couldn't get the right side of any book, but no play. So I wrote a play about all the terrible camping trips my parents had taken me on holiday when I was a child. And we put the play on, and it went down really well. And a friend of mine, I didn't know anyone who worked in TV or movies or anything, but a friend of mine was um, a camera operator on a TV show. He's now a documentary maker. And he took me to one side and said, there are too many actors but not enough writers. You can write. And I think that was his yeah. way of telling me, you're a terrible actor. <laughs> keep up with the writing. So, yeah, it's... Um, well, that's... I, I, I love the story. I love the diversity caused you to write yeah because well, you didn't have it so you had to write something so it, ga it gave me focus i think I, i'd always written i'd always enjoyed we used to after school friends and i would write sketches together we thought we were going to be in the next monty python we right weren't but it was um it was a great because we were constantly trying to outdo each other it was quite competitive trying to be funnier than the previous guy and you learn to write quick and fast and a lot of my plays were like they're quite sketchy but we 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 put on plays that were very uh, as you say, lots of scenes and cutting from one thing to another. And I was clearly a frustrated screenwriter. And the, my first thing that got option was a play that I'd adapted into a screenplay. And it had been a very easy transition, frankly, because it was essentially a screenplay on stage. So, right. So, yeah, it's some... Um, and you managed to, to sell that. Yeah. Was yeah. That, did that get made? No, but it introduced me to John Wright, the director, who went on to make Robot Overlords. So right. It's, um, That's it's my that. theory about, and I tell a lot of young writers that, everything you write moves you forward. Yeah, absolutely. It may not move you forward in the way you want. And let's face it, the way you want is you wanted to make a billion dollars and you win an Oscar. So <laughs> it's not gonna, that's not going to happen. But it may, it will move you, you will meet so-and-so, or you will learn well. I'll never write that kind of thing again. That's not my wheelhouse, but you've picked up some valuable skill. You created a character. It's just some producer read it who said, I don't like this, but there's something about it. Keep in touch. Like, everything moves you forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a matter of taking those opportunities as they come along. Taking, yeah. you know, the, I had never thought I was a good enough writer and it took someone to just tap me on the shoulder and say, actually, this is, this is pretty good. You should keep doing this. Yeah. A little encouragement at yeah, the right time. Absolutely. But it also, the thing I love about writing in, in whatever format is that of the creative arts that I've dealt with, it's the only one for which you need no permission. You don't need to be given a part. You don't need to find someone's script you can direct. You don't need to be hired to light it or make the costumes. You can just go home and open a new file. And right. Yeah. And that, if that isn't liberating, I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your first credited movie, Apartment Zero. Okay. 
Uh, and I believe you would. Are, are you a creditor? <laughs> that, was, that was a little dicey, that one. <laughs> you were you were twenty four, and not only were you credited, right? You were a producer on that. How did how did you go from graduating from UCLA to being not just writing a movie, but being producer on your first movie? I met a guy named Martin Donovan, uh, not the actor, but um, the director, Martin Donovan, who is Argentine, and. Uh, he and I met, I was working a disreputable day job uh, as a producer and distributors rep for working for a producer distributor rep in L.A. Um, and Martin had directed a, a low budget independent film that he was trying to sell to the States to distribution. And he and I hit it off and uh, he had an idea for a story and he was looking for an American writer to write it with. And I was young and inexpensive. Well, you know, free. So, um, <laughs> so we wrote it together. It was apartment zero. Uh, and then, um, he said, why don't we produce it? Uh, Cause we don't have a producer and no one knows any less than we do. So, you know, why not, uh, why not try it? So we did. Um, and, uh, the guy I was working for helped us get, sell some of the, you know, foreign, I think we sold the foreign rights for $750,000 and borrowed against the contract and then raised the rest in equity from various sources and actually went into production with much less money than we needed to finish it. And then when we came out of production, I had just, I'd written a script called bad influence and I was starting to get work from that. I'd sold the script and I started to get some rewrite jobs. So I just sort of funneled everything I made for about two years directly into the post-production of apartment zero. And, um, that was how we made it. So I, um, we, we didn't have any idea of what we were doing really <laughs> and staggered through and uh, Martin made a, a, a beautiful film out of it. What were the biggest lessons that you took from making that? Do not put your own money into films. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. It's not coming back. Uh, it's, you know, no one ever really says thank you. And, um, I, oh God, I signed like, I, oh, we owed money for the mix for about a year and a half because I'd signed it personally. So I developed this personal relationship with the, the guy who ran accounting at Todd A.O. You know, and he called me once a week and say, how's it going? You finding any work? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Taking a great interest in your career. He was like a very pleasant <laughs> loan shark, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that was one lesson I learned. The other was... Uh, do things just just plunge in and do it right you know i mean fortunately i ended up not you know having to declare bankruptcy or anything it's a good movie i'm proud of it and uh you know it's also it's important to meet and befriend strange people yeah and martin wouldn't mind at all me calling him strange he would actually <laughs> find that a compliment and it is um because he is very unlike me and therefore strange and it's important, you know, your collaborators are really important. And the, and if they're not like you, great. You know, maybe you have strengths that will complement one another. Mm. And I think my sort of rigorous, ordered way of seeing the world complements nicely with Martin's dreamy, fantastical way of seeing the world. Right. And I think those those produce something. We wrote another script together that got made into a movie, uh, Death Becomes Her. Oh, I love that film. Which is a strange, uh, thanks, which is a strange combination of his dreamy phantas phantasmagoria of a mind and my 
rigid, structured mind and hopefully dry wit. Well, I, I, t- I worked in a video store when that came out, and we were only allowed to watch PG movies. So I watched that that and the Hunt for <laughs> October that's more your, times. Your go-to, yeah. And it's that's, it's a dark film, though, isn't it? It's a very dark, it, twisted movie. That last is. shot of them, you know, With collapsing the upside down, <laughs> spinning their heads. <laughs> Do you remember where you parked the car? Uh, was, yeah, it was fun. It was fun and weird. I mean, Martin and I wrote that on spec, imagining it would be about a $5 million black comedy, mm. you know, some strange independent movie like our first movie had been. But then Bob Zemeckis got interested and, you know, Bob at peak of his powers had command over budget and could get any actor he wanted. So we suddenly had a lot of money and a terrific cast, yeah. um, which was either good for it or it wasn't or both. Um, is, is that a thing where it took some of the edge off? Because that sometimes happens when the budget goes up. You know, sometimes the rough edges come off a bit. I don't think he avoided any edge. I think he made the strangest $50 million movie <laughs> certainly Universal Pictures had ever seen. Yeah. They, they were, I think, when they called me, because they had bought the script, thinking this will be a small, weird movie. And, and I remember the head of production called me one day and said, well, Bob Zemeckis wants to do it. And I said, that's great, right? And he said, yeah. They, were, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted Bob to do, you know, Back to the Future 4. They didn't want yeah. him to do this strange movie. I, I think, uh, I don't think he shied away from any of the oddness. I think he embraced it fully. And, oh, the movie's stuck around. It's a terrific, it's a terrific movie. That's a fascinating time to be a screen. The sort of the late 80s through the 90s. People are selling million-dollar spec scripts in a way that doesn't maybe happens once a year now. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot. There was a re- great original ideas around. It wasn't all about building universes or sequels yeah. or reboots or remakes. That must have been a fun time to be a screenwriter. It was really fun, and I miss it. And I don't want to sound like an old guy on his lawn <laughs> shaking his fist at the traffic, but um, it was much more fun. I had a. I had a. I worked at Universal Pictures in in a sort of in an overall deal. It was sort of a throwback to the way they had forties. They had writers under contract in the forties, you know, and mm. it was it was so fun. I had a little office, and I'd go say to them, you know, sometimes I'd come around and say, "Hey, what about a what about twenty four hours at a newspaper?" But it's a you know sort of fast talking, funny guys at the newspaper, you yeah. know, like Ben Hecht kind of thing, and they'd say, "Great, go give it a try." So then I'd go try it. It was my brother's a journalist, and so we wrote it together, and it was really fun. It turned into a fun movie. Mm. Um, or they'd call me and say, "Steven Spielberg's been trying Jurassic Park for like three or four writers, and needs somebody new. You're young and cheap. Why don't you try it?" And, <laughs> and, uh, so it turned out they gave me a good one. <laughs> um, so the you know, but it, you would you could go in and that they would they were interested in making many different kinds of movies and the notion of somebody now doing a, you know, 30, $40 million thriller, they just don't want to do it. They just are the the big studios. You know, Um, if you want to make even say a movie like um, panic room, which I wrote in 2001, I think that movie now a major studio would just have no interest in, they, you know, they'd say call Netflix. That's just not our thing. If you if you're a screenwriter now and you are interested, you're not particularly interested in 
superheroes, and I like superhero movies. I go to them. Yeah, 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 me too. I, you know, I've, I've written them. They're fun. I just don't want to do them forever. And yeah, you know, but if you're not interested in superhero movies, uh, remakes, sequels, or Star Wars, you've eliminated about eighty percent of major studio development, and that just doesn't leave a whole lot of room for no. what I thought were interesting movies. Yeah. And we used to complain in the 90s that it wasn't the 40s anymore when you could really gun something through fast. Yeah. You know, when, uh, you know, Bracken Wilder could think of a movie in, in March and, you know, uh, Five Graves to Cairo and have it in cinemas in November. Yeah. You know, um, we were upset that it wasn't like that anymore. Little did we know how good we still had it. <laughs> but there, now I really do sound like an old man. Well, it's great. I'm, 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 I'm the young ingenue coming along saying, yeah, tell me about the 90s, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, I, uh, you know, I love that period. Some of my favorite movies. I started, my wife and I were dating. The first film we saw together, I think, was... It may have been Basic Instinct, but the second film was Reservoir Dogs. And she mm. laughed all the way through it. And that's when I knew she was the woman for me. I thought yeah, she right. can sit through this and, and see <laughs> what it is and, and enjoy it. And we, we would go to the movies every week. And we still go as often as we can now. But there has been this shift where, I mean, I saw the trailer the other day for Ford versus Ferrari. And I thought, it's a, it's a grown-up movie. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's original. It's yeah. Got- a couple of movie stars. They must have had some money. Yeah. And it's not. It looks amazing. And things. it looks like a grown up movie. It's, yeah. No one's got a cape. <laughs> Mangold can sort of get away with yeah. it. He's, yeah. He's been squeezing one in every once in a while. <laughs> it seems to be like one for him. Yeah. I mean, he did Logan and then he did this. Right. And you know, walked the line before that, I guess. Yeah. yeah but yeah. he can, but he'll get him, you know, he's getting him in between the lines, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. Does Jurassic Park give you a kind of a pass? Does it does it give you does it allow you to get these kind of movies off the ground or is it even it doesn't let you get anything off the ground. Um, it, it it I mean, and I only wrote the screenplay, so <laughs> no, no. I mean that was a, that's a good thing to do, but I mean I didn't I didn't write the novel, which you know was a cultural sensation, and I didn't direct the film, which is obviously a, a much grander accomplishment. Um, but it certainly it certainly changed things, and uh, I mean, it opened a ton of doors. It it does. Then here, this is terrible. It's really going to sound like complaining. <laughs> it ghettoizes you a little. Now, granted, that that ghetto is incredibly wealthy, you know, yeah. privileged ghetto. But that's what they then want from you. So I've always. But that's on you, and I've always tried to make a conscious effort to do many different kinds of things, including things that I don't know or have any reason to think I might be good at. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at my resume, some of the movies I've made reflect that I did things I was not good at. <laughs> um, no names, but they pop out. You'll know them when you see them. Um, but that's because I'm trying to, you know, un uh, pigeonhole myself and challenge myself. Writing a novel was part of that. Try something else. Yeah. Try something you haven't done and see how that goes. Because... Nothing is sadder than uh, Cheyenne Autumn, which is uh, John Ford going back to Monument Valley one too many times. Right. You know, you have to mix it up um, yeah. and and continue to try different sorts of things. That said, I was in Godzilla this weekend, the new Godzilla movie, and I didn't love Godzilla, but the um, 
I, I sure love the idea of a Godzilla movie, and boy, did it make me want to write a big monster movie. So, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You've worked with uh, a number of directors a, a couple of times, Spielberg most notable, and uh, I think Zemeckis a couple of times, and when and Ron Howard. When you come back, Bob Zemeckis just once. Uh, How was it? De Palma was three times, Palma, and, and Ron Howard three times. Right. When you return to work with someone like that. Do they have a? Do you have to change the way you work? Do they have a particular way of working? A particular method? Is it? Is oh it no, they conform working? to me. Okay. That, <laughs> Good. That's how it should be. Yeah. There's one thing a screenwriter does. It's call the shots. Uh, <laughs> um, you do whether you do it consciously or not. You write to the director because mm. you, you are trying to see it through their eyes a little bit. And certainly you write it in your own style. You can't help but have you come through, you know. But um, you know, based on your previous experiences, based on their other movies, based on the exhaustive conversations you've probably had with them, what they're going to respond to and what they're going to do well. And I think my experience has shown me that you should never try to talk a director into something that they seem reluctant about. Yes. Because they will not do it well. Yeah. Uh, if they do it at all, they probably ninety percent chance they won't do it. Or if they do, their heart isn't in it, or they just didn't see it. Mm. You know, and as a director, you have to see it, or you can't do it. Likewise, if they keep coming back to a certain idea, really got to give it your best go because they're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it and they should. That's how they're supposed to be. They're supposed to follow their crazy, you know, vision. So um, yes, you you do. I think adapt yourself to who you're working with. I think that's, that is an important lesson because they're the ones with the sides on the day. And if they can't make sense of it, you can stomp your feet as much as you like, but it's just not going to make. Right. It's going to be a, a weakened version or a terrible version of your. Which is uh, similar to what I say when I get notes sometimes, you know, I, if I, if I understand the note and I see it great, I, I can do that. But if I get, if, if somebody keeps giving me a note or giving me an idea and I don't, see it, not just don't like it, but I can't like get my head around it, uh, then I really better not do it because I can promise it won't be good. Yeah. I can type that up, but it won't yeah. be good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> you have to keep asking questions, don't you? You have to ask for more clarity or certainly um, take the note, but maybe don't listen to the, the solution. That's another yeah. thing I've learned as well. Yeah. Yeah. I had a early on, I'd written a movie called Carlito's Way, and De Palma was uh, showed his first cut of it to Universal, and and I was there. And there's a scene early on in the movie where um, Carlito goes into this place where there's a pool table, and he deduces that there's going to be a killing, and so he sets up a trick shot at the pool table, which then makes it go into an action scene. But it's supposed to be this lengthy, suspenseful buildup to then the eruption of action. And one of Universal's notes on the cut was that pool hall thing goes on way too long. You got to cut that down. That's not working. And so we went back to the edit room and I said, what do you think of the, their note about the pool hall? And he said, oh yeah. I, he said, yeah, they, um, I, I get it. Except they said it's too long. They, they mean the opposite. It's too short. <laughs> so he went and he put back a bunch of stuff because he felt he hadn't set the suspense hook properly. Yeah. So he, it's actually became like three minutes longer, which is really a lot of material, you know. For, and then when he showed him the next cut, one of their comments was, 
Pool hall is much better shorter. Yeah. Really, <laughs> I don't know what you did, but you really tightened it up. And because it just felt faster because the suspense worked. So like take the note. Don't take their execution of the note. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. Talking about taking notes and talking about earlier, you were saying some things work, other things don't. We're now living in a, an age of sort of peak toxic fandom where we've got people signing petitions to get the end of Game of Thrones <laughs> changed. And of course, you've written for franchises, beloved franchises where fans have maybe been unhappy. How do you deal with that? It's hard. You have to, I mean, after the fact, you know, you, you come to, you know, learn what the public perception was and you live with it and it's fine. Small price to pay for a great job. And sometimes they love it. Increase, you know, the internet coarsened and uglified everything. So, it, you know, it, it, things got uh, sharper and harder edged. But um, while you're working is when it's really hard. Like if, if, if you're going to work on a movie that is, you know, beloved or a comic book property that was beloved and there's so much nattering and so many ideas about what it should be. And I always liken it to, you know, in basketball, when the player goes to the line to shoot free throws and the, if you're on the road, the fans behind you are all waving and banging those sticks together and doing, you know, like horrible things to distract you, but you have to make your shot. So I remember before the first Spider-Man, there was this vitriolic online debate over whether his web shooters would be things he invented oh, yeah. or would be organic. And we liked organic and yeah. that was heresy. And people threatened really awful things to me, <laughs> which... Really are felonies, uh, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, and it was fine. Nobody's hurt. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, you must just try and tune it out. And, and I mean, I guess you're not on social media much. I don't like it. Um, no. no, I'm not on any social media. Yeah. And I think it's really, uh, really terrible for people. Yeah. And um, I, I, I will not. No. Um, plus, it's a not... I, I, there's, there are enough distractions and yes. I, I don't feel like I need more. And I don't, I don't feel an urge to share um, lots of my life. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, or particularly have other people's lives shared with me. That's very, very wise. Coming back to, to cold storage. Um, what was the editorial process like for you? Because obviously we've talked about getting notes from studios and you're working with directors Editors can come in. I mean, it is a happy place for an author, but then you hand it to an, an editor might go, you know what, that chapter's not working, need to move. Was that? Did you enjoy that process? I, enormously. Yeah. I mean, I had an advantage, which was I had written the book and we sent it to, to you know, a half dozen places and you could hear who was interested, who was not, who was most interested, what, what and what the, you could sort of hear comments in advance. So uh -huh. I could go where I felt like, the book was seen as much the way, uh, you know, like the way I see it. That's one of the worst sentences I've ever read. <laughs> if you looked at this, if you diagrammed that sentence, you'd be lost. Uh, Zachary Wagman at Echo uh, is the editor, and uh, Zach was just a delight. And granted, I had, you know, spent 30 years being browbeaten. So I, I, was, I was just grateful for his uh his ideas were all really good ideas they were 
It was very open to my responses to the ideas. Uh, it was a, just a fabulous process. I thought it was so genteel and intelligent. Mm. Um, not that Hollywood isn't genteel and intelligent, <laughs> mind you. It's, it's a different thing. <laughs> it's a different kind different of intelligence. The, the bit I love the most, I love the edit process, but I love the copy edit. And there's a, there's a copy editor I've worked with a couple, couple of times called Lisa Rogers. Uh, and she, it, it's, it's not just about your grammar and punctuation. She spots plot holes. She spots, yes. she was the one we have a spitfire and robot overlords and said, you have eight millimeter cannons on this one and browning guns on this one. Which is it? Yeah. You know, she, she spots all these amazing and stops you from looking like a complete idiot on, on the page. That was the bit I enjoyed the most. I, I kind of relished that bit because it's the final polish. You're finally buffing everything up. Yeah. So I don't know how that was for you. It was quite fun the first two times through <laughs> um, because it's, it is all that stuff. And I had one, the, the terrific copy editor on this as well, and she noted at one point, um, he has run out of bullets. Right. I very specifically said it was a 30 shot clip and that he used four for this and 16 for that and one for that. And, you know, so uh, that was, you know, clearly that needed to be fixed. But it plot holes also like just punctuation, you know, because I the, the fungus changes the way you think. If you're infected with the fungus, your your thought processes are affected. And I wanted that conveyed in italics with no punctuation so we know that's fungus speak right, um, right. and so it was you know punctuation was in a was a was a style choice to convey story which was um really fun and helpful however by the time we'd gone through the whole thing twice and they i got another one and they said here's your and they they're using terms you know i'm a novice so i don't know all the terms they're using here's your blah blah second you know author's proof you know pass mm. b or whatever it is. And and I'm like, I have to read this fucking book again? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> and the words are just swimming yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of you. And suddenly you're like, I don't know. Chapters 18 to 24, do we need any of those? <laughs> you know, it, it's... Uh, so I got, it was fascinating till it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always advised... Uh, I worked at Publisher and our audiobooks editor, she said, I wish everyone would just, the final thing they do is just read the book aloud to mm. themselves, which I've done for my last couple of books, because you will spot those mangled sentences oh. because you're reading it out there. It takes about a week, um, but I found so much in mm. my last couple of books that I'm so relieved well, I found it there. Yeah. Do you record it or just read it? No, out? no, I just read it. I find a quiet corner and just read to myself and just scratch through something. Right. So a quiet like, corner in the library. Yeah. So uh, well, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Mark ignoring yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Cursing to himself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it, is, it is a torturous process, but it is, um, it is worth it because there's stuff you'll find. Yeah. I mean, no matter how much you go through this, someone will always find a typo. Someone will always find, a, you know, some, right. some kind of inconsistency. But um, I think if you do that due diligence. That's a good idea. I do it with dialogue in movies. Right. Sort of scripts. Certainly yeah. you're reading it out loud as you do it and you read it out loud again. And then you hear people reading it. So there's the, – but, uh, but I know I've never heard this out loud actually. Mm. Oh, well, too late. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Uh, David, thank you so much for speaking to me. I really appreciate uh, it. Yeah, thank you. Mark, I I must admit, you know, 
there would be a massive opportunity to be a huge fanboy, but you actually you pulled it off. You were quite calm. You you you, you held your own, and uh, you probably were thinking that inside. But that was a fantastic interview. What an amazing guy! Well, he's a very very nice guy. He sets you Lovely at ease straight guy. away. He's so down to earth, um, and it's just you're having a conversation with him, and then he mentions Stephen. You think is Steve? Steve? Who's Steve? Oh, Spielberg. right exactly and he drops in the uh, I was once working on a film called um, Panic Room and I'm like what this is like I was it kind of got me thinking I mean firstly how incredibly inspiring first to to see what one person can achieve in a lifetime I mean and he's, he's he's only getting started really I mean now he's moving into books ironically I read that uh, last year when Harper Collins um, did the book deal he sold the rights to the movie fairly quickly which which is hardly surprising <laughs> really, at, the, at the end of the day so at some point there's probably going to be a the, the the book of the film yes. the film of the book I should say yeah. coming out but it's it's going to be interesting for him to screenwrite that if he does because That'll be the first time that he's actually written well, he a did, novel. He, and then- he, he does. He does. He did mention it in the interview saying how difficult it was, which is the point that I should have jumped in and said, oh, David, if you, if you need any help, mate. You need us some help. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love, do you know what though? Do you know what? It just shows you there's always something you can learn. I, when you said to him about reading the book out loud and he's like, oh, 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 I hadn't thought of that. And I thought, how brilliant is that? There's Mr. Stay from Bestseller Experiment giving one of the world's most successful screenwriters a little bit of advice. And I can just see him now in his next book, he'll be reading out and thinking of you, thinking of reading out loud and well, thanking you. To, to be fair, he is new to novel writing and they are two different skill sets. And what what really resonated with me is his joy. He said he was like fenced in by screenwriting and he loved getting into the character's thoughts, you know, and having those moments to, you know, dig into the characters, get inside their heads. And for me, that's one of the favorite things I love about writing novels as well, which is why they're my happy place. You know, I with screenplays, you know, we we don't call the shots. We're not in charge. We are sort of, uh, you know, writers for hire a lot of the time. But for a novel, it's it's all us, you know, and we we get to we get to in, enjoy that. We get to be the you know the masters of our domain, the gods of our world. So it's um, absolutely, and it, and it's actually something for every writer, every novelist who's listening to this right now to actually appreciate because I think unless you've been a screenwriter and then gone to novels like you have done as well Mark because that's the direction you came from um I don't think people appreciate the the beauty of having that freedom to go deep with characterization and it's interesting because every screenwriter that we've talked to kind of brings this up and they have this appreciation and this joy of going deep whereas for some writers that can be seen as a bit of a kind of a chore it's like oh i've got to write so much around it so <laughs> it was really interesting to hear that transition that he made i also found one of i think my favorite quote my favorite quote that david said during the whole interview was Everything you write moves you forward. Yes, yeah, that's one what, of my. Yeah, uh, that's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt <laughs> quote for the best sale experiment, isn't it? <laughs> I think that that was. It really summed up beautifully in one sentence what we've been trying to do for the last three years, which is encouraging people to get in the chair and write. Because even if you know the first draft or the first chapter of a new idea just doesn't go anywhere. The fact that you sat down to do it has moved you on as a writer and has moved you closer to becoming a better writer or has made you a better writer just by the fact you've written. And I think we should all write that out and stick it somewhere near our writing area because it's not about, you know, obviously the successes and everything are amazing, but it's actually about just 
doing the work and knowing that every time you do the work, every time you go down the gym, you're going to get a bit stronger. You're going to get a bit more flexible. And, you know, eventually you're going to be do, you'll be able to lift things that you never realized you could lift. And I think that's, that's beautiful, beautiful quote. So thank you, David, for that. I love that. Well, it came, it came at a perfect time for me because as you know, last night I got this message from my agent saying, oh, this, this company has passed sadly, you know, that's, um, mm. they, and the pitch is, you know, the gig's going to someone else. And, you know, I was, oh, boo-hoo, poor me. And then I listened to David, the interview of David this afternoon. He said, everything you write moves you. And I thought, good. Thank that really, that's made me feel a lot better. And the fact that, you know, he's gone through these same ups and downs that he pitches on projects and doesn't always get them, you know, it's, um, it, it really, really helps. And yes, that took about a week putting together a one pager for a, a TV show. And it's a lot of work. And I'm thinking again, Oh, did I do that for nothing? Well, actually, no, I got to work with another writer on it. Uh, you know, we, uh, we all learned something from that and we can take that forward. So yeah, it's, um, Absolutely. Absolutely. There'll be something that will come from that. And the other thing he mentioned was, was something you brought up in one of the stories you talked about where sometimes the, when the opportunity doesn't happen, it's a gateway to the opportunity that will happen. Mm. But you've got to get that rejection or you've got to have met that person first doing something else to actually make it. And I, do you know what? If you think about your life, and this is what I love about life, if you think about every single thing that's happened to your life, you can always look back and look at all the incredible, crazy things and connections that happened, the sliding doors, if you like, that made you meet your partner for, you know, that made your child be born on that particular day, um, that made you get that job, that made you come up with that idea for a book. And when you look at it, it is absolutely mind-blowing. We take this for granted because we just live it every day and it's just part of normal life. But the, in quotes, coincidences that happen, coincidence being the perfect alignment of events, folks, if you look into the Latin mathematical background to that word, just putting it out there. Um, so it's not all, it's not all, <laughs> it's not all universal woo-woo, Mark. It's, this is scientific language-based coincidence, coinciding perfect angles. Anyway, <laughs> it's kind of fascinating to know that all of these things are perfectly aligning for us for something. And we might not know today what that is tomorrow, but it all adds up to the story of our life, whatever that will be. And I think that is just mind blowing. I just, I lie awake at night thinking about this stuff, Mark. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> you can tell, can't I you? Can tell. Let's, let's talk about selective memory and, and uh, <laughs> memory narrative later, shall we? But <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, oh, it's it's fascinating stuff, though. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think you've got to keep moving forward. You got and the other quote that I, you know, the quotes that jumped out to me, I put three exclamation marks behind. Everything you write moves you forward, and with writing, you need no permission. When you are writing your novel, your story, what have you, uh, it's just you and the pen and the paper or the software or whatever it is you're using. Just go for it. You don't ask for freedom. permission. Yeah. Absolutely. And so li- once you realize that it's so liberating, all the other crap can come later on. But when you're right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that's when I'm happy. That is my happy place. That is when I'm tapping away at the keys. It's funny, I'm, I'm working on them. Um, after that, that pitch was a, a big sort of disruption in my, uh, my regular writing. So I'm back working on the second Woodville book. And it's just Brilliant. so happy to be back there. <laughs> it's just yeah. such a nice yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and, and the fingers are flying, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, don't need any permission to do that. So many lovely quotes. Like Jurassic Park, he said, "Oh, I only wrote the screenplay." <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
it's about as humble as you can get, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think you know. You I think it's it's it shows an understanding of how the industry works, or at least how the industry and the public perceive movies. Uh, because the thing is, he yes, he wasn't the only writer in Jurassic Park, but he was probably the last one to come on. Um, but equally, writers, you know, they 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 screenwriters don't get the fame and the glory, but they often they get the blame. You know, ah, uh, yeah, it's a bit get- like a, a goalkeeper. In <laughs> yeah, soccer. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the analogy. <laughs> they can only keep a clean sheet, and if they let one in, then it's all their fault. Yeah, it was very telling that he talked about the relentless collaboration of making movies, where you're talking people out of doing things that might be destructive, because it, it is collaborative. But everyone is pitching in ideas, and sometimes, you know, when you're working with the Spielbergs of this world, you know, he talked about the Mister DNA thing and Spielberg having that idea, and then he actioning it. Yeah, and it, you, you're working with someone there who lives, breathes, and talks film, and really knows story, knows what they're doing and then you have some executive producer and it's their first film with no experience whatsoever but they're equally trying to elbow the way to the front with an idea that you kind of think oh no just you know okay i have to listen to you because you're paying for the movie but yeah (laughs) but it's interesting we got a version of something we've heard so many times from other authors and david said the same thing which is you know you you listen to the note but you don't listen to the solution yes yeah that's huge, actually, isn't it? It's like yeah. you have to listen with two. Yeah. Um, and that's a very important thing to remember because I think we see that on all levels, don't we? Whether it's um, uh, editors, publishers, or you know, directors of movies or producers of movies, it's the same thing that comes up time and time again. It's, um, and it's only something I think that comes with ex- either the awareness of that from the outset or the experience of having to go through it several times to realise, oh, yeah, we, they're actually asking us to increase this increase the length of the scene mm. in Carlito's way. You know, oh, like I that. love that, that story. It's such a great brilliant. story. Such a great story. Yeah. And again, yeah. that, that's De Palma. That's someone who knows film inside out, you know, really knows his yeah. stuff. And, and speaking of, you know, you don't meet De Palmas or Spielbergs just in the street. You know, uh, uh, there's a lovely quote from David where it says, meet and befriend strange people. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a great advice because, you know, you... The, you you know, you need to put yourself out there to meet people, to become part of a community, to to be, to meet the creative geniuses who could be your peers and collaborators. So, um, like the people in the BXP team. Oh, it all comes around. Do you know what full I mean? Circle, full it circle. It does come around, doesn't it? No, but it's true, right? Because it takes a certain person, I think, to. Uh, well, it take. I think it's it, it. If you take the human, if you take the kind of the, the grand population of the world, and you get the subset of authors and writers, you've already got a unique set of people right there. I mean, everyone that I've ever met that writes, there's something about them that's different. They're they're quirky. They're funny. They've got an incredible view on the world. Yeah. They're, they're imaginative, creative, and then and then you take that another subset of those, which are the ones who are, um, you know, people like Shannon Mayer who are prolific in what they yes. do. I'd put David in that category. He has to be prolific as a screenwriter to have done what he's achieved. And But when you start working around and with those kind of people, the award winners, like the people we've got in the BXP team, the best-selling authors in the BXP team, it's, it, it pulls the very best out of you. And that's why I think community is so important. And, you know, David's community is, it, it doesn't get any, he's in the highest echelon that you could possibly get in Hollywood. I mean, there is no greater... There's no greater level that you could go to. So what an incredible opportunity to chat with him. And like you say, just one of the most nicest kind of down to earth chaps that you could you could meet. And I could have spoken to him all day. 
all day. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. So yeah, brilliant traffic. So thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. Best of luck with your incredible new novel. Uh, I look forward to seeing the movie of that as well. I think it'd be very interesting to see who directs it. I wonder if we could pull a string or two there. <laughs> hey, Stephen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I also want to thank my friend Jen Breslin who arranged the interview because uh, that was um, that was it was it was an amazing day, just an amazing day. So thank you, Jen. Brilliant stuff. So uh, I know it's been very active, Mark, on social media. We should, before we dive into social media, we should uh, remind everyone that we have a live show coming up in October. We do this once a month where we have a live studio audience. You can join us. You can ask us questions. You can banter with other BXP uh, team members. And we're going to be recording that on Tuesday the 8th of October and that's going to be at uh, midday PST time that's 8pm British Standard Time Uh, and if you're in the East Standard Time East Coast of of Canada and America that'll be around 3 o'clock in the afternoon so if you'd like to join us for that it's a lot of fun um you get to kind of you know if you can name drop your book we may even mention it live on air um you simply join the bxp team you get over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you will get all the login details to join us on that live webinar uh we've been playing we've been playing with the technology we're up, upgrading <laughs> our, our um our skills uh, actually, but we've actually uh, we're doing well because we're actually practicing aren't we mark yes. before just going alive yeah. with new software which is what most people do yeah that's, <laughs> that's discovered some interesting two hours of my life i'll challenges. never get back yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good we're very confident no, it works it works perfectly. yeah it it's, works it's, it's all really good. good it's all good so join us folks for that um so mark social media what has been going on this week apart from all the crazy stuff in the bxp team well it's more celebrations frankly it's more celebrations so um former guest and also bxp member Kylie Dunbar, uh, her book One Summer's Night got a number one bestseller flag. And then on top of that, her new book, Christmas at Frozen Falls, yes, she released a Christmas book in September, uh, <laughs> got to number one in the hot new releases as well. So this wow. is a double whammy for Congratulations, Kylie. Congratulations, Kylie. Now, Kylie is published by Hera Books, and I've got a wonderful deep dive with the founders of Hera Books, and that's you're going to love to hear that story. So, um do check in with the deep dives because that is amazing because that's talking about how publishing is changing, new ways to get published, and it's been a huge hit for Kylie. So it's not all about the big traditional publishers. It's not all about being an indie author. There are mm. other routes to market now, so do check that out. Here are books coming soon as a deep dive. So that's all cool. Um, I sent you a wonderful tweet. Now, this is from our friends Sarah and Elaine, because uh, you remember, folks, we, we did a webinar with them a few for, months ago uh, for their webinar series, series uh, uh, I Am In Print. They've been working in Glastonbury. They've been, uh, they took some time out to go to Glastonbury. They've been plotting there. They should put a picture of post-it notes everywhere all over their desk. They've, uh, they've been to Glastonbury tour and they said, we, we spotted the famous cow from back to reality. And there's a picture of them pointing at a cow in a field, which I just absolutely loved. It's absolutely made my day. It was just fantastic. So uh, thanks, Sarah Elaine. I, I hope the plotting, or uh, Sarah and Elaine rather, I hope the plotting went well. Um, and also another one of our BXP team, um, Sage has got a new book out, which is fantastic news, a book of and poetry. Awesome. And big congrats to Sage on working with that because uh, Sage is... I would argue that Sage probably interacts with us more on social media than any one of our listeners, uh, which is quite 
quite a feat actually because I'm yeah. I'm on all the time. So this is yeah. this is fantastic news for Sage. And if you want to check this out, and it's been getting the most amazing feedback as well, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check that out too. So congratulations. Brilliant. Yeah, well fantastic done, Sage. Stuff. So if you are interested in getting your book plugged on the show, we want to know about how this show has changed your writing habits. Has it got you writing? Has it got you finished your book, finishing your book? Has it got you a book published, a deal? Whatever it is, if you'd like to drop us a note, we always, always really appreciate hearing about your successes. We want to celebrate with you because we say it time and time again. One of the things we're worst at doing in life is celebrating those moments when they happen. We're too busy focused on the next milestone. So Please let us know what you're doing with your writing. We'd like to make a, make a big splash of it on the show. Drop us a note. You can either drop us a note on email. You can go to our site, bestsellerexperiment.com. There is a contact us button there. There's a form you can fill out. It comes directly to me and Mark. And we do read every single email that comes through, don't we, Mark? Every single one. Um, you can also drop us a, a message or post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. You can find all the links to all of those on the bestsellerexperiment.com website. And if you're interested in signing up to the newsletter as well, I would suggest people do this mock because we've got some fairly interesting announcements coming out soon. So if you want to be the first to find out about those, we always tell our mailing list first. So get over to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter and mailing list button, put in your email, and uh, we will give you all of the exciting news as it happens. And I'm just going to say, Mark, one thing. I just want to say, this little celebration at my end. I talked about last week how I've, I've struggled with this writing every day and yes. getting a good word count going. And you know what? I've come up with this new idea Done. and we're playing it out and experimenting, as I mentioned last week. It's still working. Okay, good. And at some point, I'm going to reveal what it is that I'm doing because I think I've cracked it. Um, I've got well over seven and a half thousand words written in the last two weeks, which for me is utterly mind blowing, honestly, folks, really to be able to put that out. So, um, I'm not going to reveal it just yet. I'm going to give it a couple more weeks just to make sure that I can stick with it. And if it works, we're going to be doing a bit of a reveal soon, tell you more about how you can get involved in the same idea. How many, how many words have you done in the last two weeks? Seven and a half thousand. Wow. That, now, on the Aronovich scale, that's a plus three, I think. So, yeah. yeah it is a plus yeah, three. Yeah. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you he was um, heckling me at Worldcom? I was doing my signing. No. And he was on next, and he was, like, waiting to go on, and I was talking to someone, and he kept heckling me about the podcast. He's still angry. Uh, <laughs> nearly that's brilliant. Three years later. He's going to be like that for the rest of his life. He will be there <laughs> shouting about it in the OAP home, won't he? <laughs> 50,000 words. That's what that, that's exactly what he sounded like. It was absolutely Oh, nightmare. completely. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I love it. Also, I uh, don't know what I'm going to be doing there, but I will be at Galantzfest uh in November. You've probably seen all sorts of announcements for uh Galantzfest in November, and they've asked me to come along. Don't know what I'm doing, but I will be there. Uh I think Ben might be there, and I think Joe uh Hill, Joe Abercrombie, Garth Nix, all sorts of amazing people. So let me know if you're going and come and say hi brilliant stuff excellent well thank you very much for joining us this week we will be back next week with another cracker of an episode and again remember if you want to sign up to the live show get over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and we look forward to welcoming you to the bxp team so thank you mark amazing interview what a coup what a great great episode and we look forward to seeing you all next week it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye goodbye